My name is Keith, amateur radio operator W0NX. Hello and happy February, everybody, and welcome to the Volunteer Spotlight, brought to you by Aftersight. I'm your host, Evan Starnes, and I hope everybody's had themselves an excellent start to their month, and I hope that you guys have a good Valentine's Day, as that is coming up pretty quick here. On the topic of Valentine's Day, uh, we, Aftersight, are doing a special little thing called podcast shoutouts. So if you have a special message for a special someone, or maybe just a congratulatory message, or something that you want one of our guests to read on air, you can go to aftersight.org slash shoutout and you can leave a shout out for somebody. And because it's Valentine's Day, we are offering a discount. We're offering a 50% discount if you use the code LOVE with all caps. And yeah, that'll give you eight, um, that'll give you 10 bucks off for your shout out. Also, if you have any feedback about our podcasts or for any of our hosts, you can always email feedback at aftersight.org or if you have any specific questions for our podcast hosts, you can call 720-712-8856. Joining me this month is a longtime volunteer and a pretty special one. He has um, been a, well, I would say a producer and a reader of the Hobby Radio Program and the Opera News Program. So yeah, joining me today is Keith, otherwise known as W0NX. Hopefully it's okay that I say that. No, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, how are you doing today, Keith? Oh, good, Evan. Thank you very much for uh, having me, and this is quite an honor. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here, and yeah, congratulations again. I'm so <laughs> sorry we got the news out to you this late today, but... Um, Oh, oh, that's fine. Yeah, well, it's no accounting for issues with um, my Comcast email. <laughs> yeah, Comcast email can be kind of funky. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, I always like to ask volunteers a couple of little fun questions to get the creative juices flowing. So, Keith, tell me, what is your favorite um, outdoor activity to do around this time? And it's okay if you don't have one because... Hmm. Well... Uh, my girlfriend and I like to take walks on the uh, walking trails around uh, my house in Arvada and also her house in Littleton. So that's pretty much it. We try not to get too crazy. <laughs> so yeah, fair. We don't do anything like skiing or snowmobiling or anything like that. Absolutely. No, just little neighborhood walks. Absolutely. Um, what's your kind of what's your favorite t- thing to do while you're walking on those trails? Like, do you like are you more of like a scenery person? Or are you more just about the exercise or both? Oh, we just like to stroll and see what birds are out and listen to them. And yeah, I just enjoy the outdoors. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Lastly, what is your favorite thing to listen um, or what is your favorite form of audio content to listen to? You could either be, I could either be podcasts, audio books, or um, something else. Hmm, I see. Well, uh, lately I've really gotten into a podcast called Aria Code, which is put out by um, WQXR and uh, WNYC in New York City. And it's all about famous operas uh, and their arias, Uh, their specific um, showstoppers, so to speak, uh, during the operas and uh, 
hostess, uh, Rhiannon Giddens, uh, usually has some interesting guests discussing the aria and how it came about and what to listen for and usually concludes with a performance of the aria. So I've been listening to that recently, been uh, really enjoying it. That's incredibly cool. Yeah, it seems like opera is definitely your thing. Um, I mean, you've got a program dedicated to it and all that, so... Yeah, it's been a personal interest of mine um, for about 20-some years. Absolutely. So I try to go to a lot of um, performances that are local, like Opera Colorado, Central City Opera, the opera program at um, CU Boulder. Right. And uh, I've been to other cities, too. Been to the Met uh, in New York, uh, Chicago, San Francisco... Um, yeah, I try to get around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. You sure do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, let's dive right in here. So um, how did you first um, discover Aftersight, and what made you want to uh, fill out an application to volunteer? Well, um, this is probably ancient history. Um, oh. <laughs> I uh, was looking for volunteer opportunities in the late 90s. And um, at the time, I was living in Boulder and um, was getting the Daily Camera. And I think it was in the Daily Camera that in 1999, roughly, there was an article about a cooking contest that involved the Spam Spiced Ham uh, canned meat product as the featured ingredient. And um, what was funny is there was this organization called Radio Reading Service of the Rockies that was associated with this cooking contest. And I thought this was the funniest thing, was a cooking contest around spam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, "Um, I wonder if they are looking for volunteers. (laughs) Right, because <laughs> you, you think, yeah, yeah, because this is uh, it sounds like my kind of organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that I'm a big uh, eater of spam. I just thought it was kind of a funny uh, idea for a cooking contest. So um, I followed up on that and um, came into the at the time radio reading service of the Rockies RRSR Studios and um, met everybody. Met. Uh, Let's see, at the time it was Pam, Kat, Mrs. H, uh, Cherry David. Price, uh, David, and Paul, Paul, Paul Miliarelli. Mm-hmm. And uh, they set me up with an audition a little, uh, to uh, try out, and I apparently passed. Uh, even oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> even with, even with my, my mangling of uh, some words and, and names. But in any case, uh, they accepted me. And... Um, I got started uh, coming into the studios reading the Greeley Tribune. Aha. Uh, so I did that for quite a while. Uh, so everything was recorded. Nothing was uh, live. I didn't uh, have any live shows, uh, actually, ever. And um, did that for several years. And then um, uh, there was uh, somebody who was already reading opera news. Uh, which is a publication of the uh, Metropolitan Opera Guild. Ah, okay. 
and um, they were no longer going to be available to do that, so uh, they offered it to me. And at the time, I was getting into opera, so it was a perfect uh, um, opportunity to read something that was a personal interest of mine. Absolutely. It yeah. sounded like you were a perfect, absolutely perfect fit for that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big time. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And um, then over time, uh, Paul and I, who uh, is also uh, an amateur radio operator, uh, thought that it'd be interesting to have a program about uh, uh, amateur radio and shortwave listening. And at the time, uh, the publication to... Uh, that looked like the the best one was uh, going to be monitoring times, kind of a uh, enthusiast publication for shortwave listening and hams and other. hams and I started that and uh, yeah, it's what I've been sticking with over the years. So not uh, so much in a nutshell, I guess. That's how I got started. No, that's exactly perfect. <laughs> RRSR. That actually answered some other questions that I had had too. I didn't. I had honestly thought Hobby or uh, Opera News was like a program that you curated yourself. I didn't know that was from the uh, the uh, Metropolitan Opera Company's uh, Guild. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's talk about that first. So, um, yeah, when did you start getting into opera, and then and, and what kind of sparked that? Well. Uh, if we go uh, again way back when, I um, I went to a high school that had a music appreciation course that oh, yeah. was uh, mandatory, and uh, they got me introduced to uh, classical music. So ever since I was a teenager, I've enjoyed listening to classical music, and um, there'd often be opera selections from... Uh, included as part of the programming. And uh, there was one program I used to listen to all the time um, by George Jelinek, and that was called uh, The Vocal Scene, I think, and that was all about opera. So this this was way back in the 70s, <laughs> and uh, I always enjoyed listening to that. But it was always kind of a peripheral interest. Uh, it wasn't something that I really uh, sought out for many years. Right. But I had a an uncle who was a real enthusiast for opera. And when I visited him one time, he pulled out a, a VCR tape of um, a famous opera called Carmen that um, is very popular. And he wanted to uh, introduce me to it. And he said, oh, well, why don't we watch this uh, opera and uh, see what you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, it was something that just grabbed my interest immediately, uh, seeing the whole production from start to finish. And it was sung in French, uh, the original language in which it was uh, composed. But it had subtitles. And um, this is something that I, I think was fairly new for the time. Uh, having subtitles in uh, opera houses and also in um, uh, recordings of operas. Mm -hmm. And it just transformed the experience because up to that time, you had to study the libretto and figure out what they were singing if you didn't uh, know the language in which they were singing. So it was kind of a project to um, 
attend or, or listen to operas yeah. uh, up to that time. But it just uh, it just uh, just uh, grabbed my attention, and uh, I thought this is something that I could really enjoy uh, getting into uh, more deeply. Absolutely. So I guess I was in my twenties at that time. And thereafter, I began to seek it out. Uh, I got uh, back home and began to go to local productions and got uh, familiar with the different uh, companies that I could uh, attend in person around here and then uh, in other cities. Sometimes <laughs> I'd go on business trips and... Uh, Get to hear maybe yeah. one as a bonus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I had some free time. I'd see what was going on in the area. And, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what was like, um, if you could tell me, what was the most notable opera you ever attended? Hmm. Well, uh, I have to say that seeing the complete ring cycle by uh, Richard Wagner. Whoa. Uh, now, this, this was not necessarily in person, but it was a theater simulcast of a live production at the Metropolitan Opera in New York that they still do now. They um, simulcast uh, select productions during the season in movie theaters okay. uh, around the world. And um, at the time, I was um, seeing these whenever they were available. And one of them was the, f the full four-part series of The Ring Cycle, and it was a new production. It was a very exciting production. But all told, that's uh, roughly 16 hours uh, to uh, uh, see the whole ring cycle. And I kind of consider that a significant achievement, uh, finally seeing the complete ring cycle. Absolutely. That's actually a really good performance. Um, and I think that's one of those performances. And I'm sure there's plenty more out there, but it's one of those where you can just listen to the music to kind of easily be able to discern what's going on um, scenic-wise. Like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a, fi a magic fire at one point mm -hmm. that had a very um, – that was the one that stuck, stuck out to me most is it had a very distinctive – melody behind it and you could tell it was a fire and you could even hear the roaring of the f as of the fire and like of the flames um kind of beginning through the orchestra and it was definitely an experience yeah isn't that incredible it is incredible how a composer can um produce music that uh has such a clear response there's a the term audience. for it yes. and i'm sure plenty of people are like screaming it in the in, in the audience or whatever but <laughs> there's an astonishing amount of things that you can do with just audio alone, which is actually a great segue into our next topic here. You're definitely, obviously, an amateur radio operator. Um, how long have you been an, an amateur radio operator, and what got you into amateur radio in the first place? Um, well, again, this um, goes into the deep past. It's fine. We've got to do it. <laughs> uh, again, at this high school... Uh, that I went to in uh, St. Louis, where I grew up, uh, they they had a radio club. And um, they actually had a physical radio shack. 
Oh, neat. Yeah, it was so cool. The uh, school was on the grounds of a former farm in St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this uh, shack used to be a little storage building, or maybe it's where the chickens lived. Oh, gotcha. Something like that. But it was a funny little shack. And they, uh, over time, uh, I guess uh, maybe some administrators and students, maybe in the 60s, uh, decided to turn it into a real radio shack with some really cool vintage gear in it. And they had a little radio tower, um, a push-up, extendable radio tower with a tri-band or for uh, those who aren't familiar, uh, an, uh, an antenna on the top, which you could rotate and point where you wanted your signal to go. Wow. And um, right. they had uh, an active uh, group, small group, of students who were participating in the radio club. And um, this just looked thrilling to me. And um, I got into the radio club, got involved, and they had a, an advisor, kind of, a, um, uh, kind of a faculty advisor, but he wasn't on the faculty. Uh, but he was a man who worked for a TV station in St. Louis who was a ham, and he, every week, uh, called the radio club to order in our little shack, and we would have little projects that we would work on, like little things that he would show us um, how to construct. And um, we'd play with Morse code, play with the radios. And uh, I just really got into that. And um, I got uh, radio fever, yeah, so to speak. That's a good term. Yeah, ex- <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, this was 1976, 1977. Okay. And uh, at that time, you could get the entry-level license by taking a little test uh, and also demonstrating your proficiency in receiving and sending Morse code with this advisor who was an elder ham. Uh, who came in and supervised us. So he uh, administered the test after I'd done some studying and did our little theory test and our little Morse code test, and uh, I passed, and I became a a WB0YPO. Oh, wow. uh, Slash N for novice. At the time, you only had this introductory license for a short amount of time, and they encouraged you to upgrade. And get a more uh, uh, more sophisticated license that required more studying of theory and mores. And so uh, I did that uh, after a few months, uh, studied and increased my ability with uh, Morse code, and um, passed the uh, next level test. At the time. You had to go to the FCC field office in downtown St. Louis. And you had to, this only happened a few times a year that you could take a test. 
So there was a written test, and you had to do things like draw diagrams of an amplifier circuit. Or what would you do for this kind of modulation? And you had to, you had to、uh, make the schematics by hand. Oh my gosh!、Uh, and then there was also a receiving and sending test for Morse code at a much higher speed than for the、uh, original、uh, license that I took.、Uh, but、uh, I did all that. And、uh, passed, and、uh, got the next、uh, level up, and then、uh, operated at that license class for、uh, many years in、uh, St. Louis, and also here. Absolutely. And then、uh, later on, I、uh, finally upgraded to the highest license class, and、uh, at that license class, I was able to apply for this uh, shortened uh, call sign that I currently have W0NX. Yeah, I'd wondered about that because I'd noticed most people's call signs are usually five characters, sometimes more. But yeah, yours has been yours had been particularly short, which struck my attention. Yeah, it's、uh, yeah known as a one by two, and、uh, you can get those when you're an extra. And、um, I was watching what call signs were becoming available、uh, with the FCC over time, and saw that that one had come up. It used to be,、um, I think, the Eastern Iowa DX Association, but they、uh, released it、gotcha. at some point, and then I jumped on it. It's a lot、uh, faster in Morse code than my original call, and、sure. I I operate、uh, with Morse code much of the time, and、uh, my original call was super long. Oh yeah, <laughs> so the the new、uh, one by two. Uh, worked out a lot better. Okay, that's yeah, that's really cool. And I, I didn't even think about Morse code because it seems nowadays that they don't really prioritize.、Um, they they might mention Morse code, but at least when I was when I was looking at the practice ones, they didn't really seem to they didn't they didn't require it anymore that you had to be knowledgeable in it. Yes, yes, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, Now and I'm sure for for those listening, yes, we will we will ch-、uh, change topics here in a couple minutes. But I do want to、um, answer a question that some folks might have that are interested in getting into amateur radio.、Um, there are、um, several levels of being an op- well, not an operator, but you have your、uh, your technician, I think, and then operator, and then something else. I、um, so yeah, there's different several levels of license you can get.、Um, What was like? I think the entry level is technician. Pretty sure.、Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They've changed the levels over the years, but yeah, basically it starts out there, and then you can、uh, move up、uh, two or three more until you get to the、uh, top level. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, on the other、um, topic of audio, so you've been a、um, a remote reader for some time now. How long exactly? Well, let's see. I moved from Boulder to Arvada in two thousand, and it was at that time that I became a remote reader. Wow, very cool. So,、um, can you describe your recording setup? Yeah, sure thing. I、um, at the time.、Um, I found、uh, recording software. Uh, which is called Total Recorder, 
buy an outfit. I don't know if they're still around, but the outfit was called uh, High Criteria, and I think they're based in Canada. But um, I found that recording software, and uh, it had a lot of features, uh, an automatic gain control. Um, oh, wow. You can... You can um, Put in filters for uh, pops and uh, funny little noises that you might get from uh, playing a record, an old record, and you're trying to clean up the audio and uh, some other features. But in any case, I, I've been using that uh, for many years and um, would probably be worth my while to explore... But I have uh, a lot of experience with this particular software, and it's been working okay for me so far. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I run that on a laptop. Uh, the laptop's then connected to a little mixer box. Behringer? Uh, Behringer, probably. It's, yeah. yeah that's Behringer. what we used to use all the time here in the studios is little Behringer mixers. Yeah, that's what I have, and uh, it's been holding up all these years. And then that goes to a Sure Dynamic Cardioid mic. Aha. So that's, um, that's been working out for me. Um, lately, I've been trying to track down noise sources and eliminate them. But uh, I, think, I think nowadays I've gotten most of those annoying background things fixed. So... Anyways, this system seems to be working. It's kind of patched together, but um, it's been uh, it's been working over the years for me. It definitely sounds like it, and that would explain the very um, very good dynamic range that you have because those Sure mics, um, I mean, they're the best, of the best, at least in my opinion. They're not like you know they've they've got thousands of dollars mics out there, but the, yeah, I think these are those are like the to- like top of the line. So that's awesome. Um, now, is there a particular word of advice or some inspiration or um, just something really important that you learned over the years volunteering that you'd like to potentially share with people interested in volunteering or existing volunteers? Hmm. Well, I would encourage anybody who has the least interest in getting involved with Aftersight to go for it. I mean, this is such a wonderful organization. And I would encourage uh, people to volunteer uh, in any way that uh, they can. Absolutely. Um, If you do become a reader, I would encourage people to find a way to try to read naturally. Um, I'm very glad you said that. Because that is often something that can be a little tough to explain to people too is um, is how you when you sit down in front of the microphone and click record how you actually present the program because it's supposed to be in a neutral tone with no bias but yeah people get nervous and then that will affect your tone and then eventually you might start it sounds it sounds like you're reading off of a PowerPoint presentation to somebody or something like that yeah yeah exactly exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point about um, the opportunity there is that biases can mm-hmm. uh, creep into um, what you're reading. 
that is good, solid advice. So thank you so much. Um, now, lastly, before we wrap this up, do you have any questions for me, Evan Starnes, or the entirety of Aftersight? Uh, not particularly. Okay. No, I've uh, just uh, enjoyed seeing how this organization has evolved and survived over the years and how your programming has changed. Uh, Absolutely. And you've added new uh, programs, uh, different types of programs. And yeah, it's really, uh, it's really nice to see how, how the uh, organization has uh, developed over the years. Well, Keith, I'd like to thank you so much and congratulate you once again. I know it sounds like we sound like broken records here um, on being nominated as the Volunteer of the Month for February. But yes, I'd like to thank you for joining me for this episode of the Volunteer Spotlight. And I hope everybody is having a good February. Please, um, if you have any comments or questions, don't hesitate to reach out, feedback at aftersight.org, or of course, send in your shout outs. We're really looking forward to these shout outs. Um, we, we launched that kind of last month and it's been, um, it's been exciting seeing what's happened. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Volunteer Spotlight. I've been your host, Evan Starnes, and I will see you guys next month.